Mama. Who's this? It's Wayne. Yes, this is Mama, baby. Mama? Huh? I killed Dean. Wayne? Ma'am? What are you doing? Yeah, yes, yes. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Simon. And uh, if in doubt, whip it out. I'm Kate Rambo. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Not much, mate. What's been going on with you? How proud are you to host a <laughs> podcast with someone who is called a twisted soul by Ted Cruz? Ted the Zodiac Killer Cruz. Senator Ted Cruz. Lion Ted. Who I think Trump once called a pussy. He did call him me a pussy. A twisted soul. If you look at the screen right now here on the live stream, you can see, he not only called me a twisted soul, he also called me a lefty troll, but he said, you fair, twisted, twisted soul. soul. Yeah. It, How amazing is that? Soul. He called you out. I mean, name a Jew that isn't a twisted soul. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. It's such a badge of honor. I've, it it blew me away. You know, so obviously he didn't fall for my little gambit, you know, um, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact that he responded was triggered and then called me a twisted soul and retweeted to his 4 million followers is a win in my book. I mean, that's exactly I what I wanted. I am proud for you. I mean, it was amazing. Proud. It was a bit of a viral moment. You know, it happened last week uh, uh, as I was doing research for the, uh, the 800th episode, and I'm still getting messages and notifications like it's still going i mean the guy's got four million followers and he retweeted this picture but basically what happened and this happens this is actually something i i've done many times never ever have i got a, a an asshole republican to retweet me though that's never happened no one ever responds but usually what happens is i'm hung over and i'm sitting at my computer and i'm reading i'm looking for the news and i read the news um just try to find articles for the show and whatnot. And I came across an article about Governor Abbott in uh, Texas and Ted Cruz, and they're passing legislation to basically pass a bounty of $10,000. Like if you turn someone in who got an abortion after six weeks, you get $10,000 from the state of Texas. Like they're passing this law. Not only that, they're trying, you know, shutting down Planned Parenthoods. And I was just like, Fuck these assholes. And it gets me enraged. And it could be anything. You know, it could be them restricting voting rights. Whatever shitty thing that they're trying to do. These hypocritical piece of shit asshole Republicans. I Then I start tweeting to them. And I've done this for years. Never have I gotten a response up until last Saturday. So I tweeted to Senator Cruz a picture of serial killer <laughs> Dean Coral, the candy man of Houston, Texas a notorious pedophile, pederast, serial killer uh, who murdered like 28 boys. Um, I, I, took a, I, I found a picture of probably him. Probably more. Yeah, probably more. 
Um, I found a picture of him in a military uniform. He actually did serve in the military. Uh, not surprising. 1964 he to 1966. He also got a veteran's funeral. Oh, wow. Really? They give that guy a veteran's funeral? He, he certainly did have a veteran's funeral. <laughs> you think you'd be <laughs> dishonorably discharged from a ve- veteran's funeral after, like, murdering and torturing 28 boys? Anyway, um, or is torturing and murdering. But so I, I tweeted to him saying... Hey, Senator Cruz, thanks for putting America first. You always got to come in with a flattering line first. Can I get a happy birthday retweet from my granddad who served in the U.S. Army? Hashtag America first. Hashtag veteran support. And I included a picture of Dean Coral in his military uniform. And I, I didn't just tweet Ted Cruz. I tweeted Abbott. I tweeted Marjorie Taylor Greene. I tweeted Matt Getz. I'm in this mindset. I'm hungover. And this is what I do. Okay. To alleviate the pain of being you're a twisted, over. you're to alleviate the pain of being a twisted soul. Uh, never in my wildest imagination did I think he'd actually respond. And sure enough, like maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes after, Ted Cruz responds, "Hey, lefty troll, I'm sorry your grandfather was Dean Arnold Coral, an American serial killer who abducted, raped, tortured, and murdered at least 28 teenage boys and young men between 1970 and 1973 in Houston, Texas." God bless our troops anyway, you twisted soul. And and made my day. I responded to him, thanks, Ted. You made my day. And then from there, it just just erupted. I mean, because he he retweeted it. And then he's got like 4 million followers. And then other liberal people like uh, Ken Klippenstein, he retweeted it. That went out to like, you know, I don't know, he had like 22,000 likes immediately, like from when I checked immediately. I mean, it was crazy. It just kind of blew up. And so all these people started notif- like responding to me on my Twitter and tagging me in tweets. And I got to say, they ranged from positive to very negative. Um, all very, very amusing. But the one, uh, here's a couple of highlight ones, uh, highlights here. One guy wrote, this is the funniest I've seen today. Laughing my fucking ass off. Cruz is so sour. I love it. Another guy said, he, re- he tweeted an obvious joke. And Ted Cruz reverse image searched, found the Wikipedia article, copy and pasted it in his quote um, tweet. Getting a sitting U.S. senator to do that is hilarious and a win. Which I completely agree with that. I like that one. Well, I don't um, think he will have reverse image searched it. Maybe his assistant did. uh, But what's weird is I tweeted to Senator Ted Cruz's Twitter. He responded, I think, with just the Ted Cruz Twitter. So maybe, I don't know. But I'd like to imagine he's so triggered, like, oh, you lefty troll. I'm going to show you. I'm going to embarrass you. Well, it takes a killer to know. Takes a killer to know a killer, doesn't it? I bet he was like, "Oh, that that bloody Dean. I'm I'm better than him, mate. I created, you know, some scripts that they're still trying to decipher." I'm gonna have to go more I'll obscure to outsmart the Zodiac. Um, yeah, you will. Another guy goes, "Thanks, Ted. I didn't know who D was until this. Next thing you know, I'm listening to his podcast talking about CIA, CIA Project Stargate. Pretty dope." Nice. Um, an- another person goes, "You got to go more obscure next time." The cruise is, quote, very knowledgeable about serial killers, which he is because <laughs> it takes one to know yeah. one. Um, another person wrote, this, this is the funniest thing I've seen on Twitter in a minute. The fact that Cruz reverse image searched this, the fact that Cruz clearly copied an excerpt from Wikipedia and the vast amount of boomers in the replies who don't get it. That was the best part. It's just hundreds of boomers being like, you got owned. You got owned by Ted Cruz. Yeah. And I was like, I remember I responded to a few like own question mark. 
He called me a twisted soul. I think that's a win. I think that's a win. But here are some it's of the negative publicity. ones. Here's some of the negative yeah, ones. Yeah, let's hear them. Seems like another example of the new left-wing pedo troll. All right, <laughs> I'll take that. Um, this is common amongst the boomers. The boomers love this one. Swing and a miss. Probably not used to seeing others fight back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fight, what? Fight back how? You just wanted to wish the troops. Like, you know, good on the troops. He was a troop. I like this guy. He's claiming a win because he... Because Cruz called him a twisted soul. What would the lose look like? I don't think there is a lose in this situation, if you ask me. But I, It's um, a win-win uh, for you, baby. This one was very common amongst the boomers. Um, Senator Cruz, mic drop, boom, you've been owned. <laughs> <laughs> and then this mic guy, drop. it's you who doesn't understand. D. Simon was hoping Cruz would blindly retweet a serial killer. Not only did Cruz not fall into the trap, he called out D. Simon. D. Simon failed, plain and simple. <laughs> uh, this guy, D. Twisted Soul, translated means douchebag. <laughs> That's also true. If Ted Cruz would have called me a douchebag, I would have thought that was equally amazing. You know, I like Twisted Soul more. Yeah. And and it's still going on. Like they're still they're still responding. I've I've kind of stopped replying to people. I don't really care. The, the at this last point. time I looked at it, it was like six thousand uh, likes. That's just like <laughs> Jesus. That's viral. But what was great about it though is we got a lot of new listeners out of it, and I welcome everybody. I mean, it's cool that people are actually checking it out. But it also inspired us to let's cover Dean Coral this week for episode eight hundred one. I mean, it's he's well, probably when, one of the notor- most notorious serial killers, definitely in Houston, but probably in, in serial killer history. I mean, it's... Yeah, when I first joined the show, we were both like, he was both on our list of people to cover eventually. So yeah, now, you know, I mean, I've always... We're going to take him off the list. Exactly. Like, I've always... I mean, he's a, he's one that I've, you know, has been on the bucket list of serial killers to cover on the show. And thank you, Ted Cruz, for inspiring us to, <laughs> to finally cover him. I appreciate that. Do something that. good for the world. Dean Coral. Yeah. The candy. So this man. is like the candy man. I've pieced it together from like all the usual offenders on the internet, but I found the book uh, Man with the Candy by Jack Olson to be a great source. So a lot of that is coming from that. I'm going to be getting into the rape and abuse and torture of teenage boys. This podcast is the equivalent of Rotten.com. There will be no holes barred. So if you can't handle it, just skip ahead till the end when we play a nice little song. Yeah, it's kind of it's definitely kind of a gnarly one. I would probably put this up there with Super um, gnarly. Yeah, with Bob Brudella and the Toy Box Killer. Oh my, he's very comparable. And Kate to all of them. like spares no details. All right, when it comes to like torture, you know, especially me. of children, Kate's like, oh, I gotta write every <laughs> single detail down well, so we can discuss you, you it. You know, thoroughly. I do for you people. So in just three years, Dean Coral, he managed to rape, torture, and murder at least, or the ones that we know about, 28 young boys and men from the Houston suburb that he lived in. We've got Echoes Gacy here, who was actually up to very similar types of shenanigans in Illinois. We'll get into that. But Dean, what separates him from the other type of killers is that he wouldn't have been able to get away with it if it wasn't for a little help from his friends and an absolutely beyond useless police force. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. So let's go back to the beginning. That is an interesting thing about Dean Curl, though, is he did have accomplices. It was like a group. It was like a team, a team effort. 
So definitely An sets alliance them apart. of evil. Dean Arnold Coral, he was born on Christmas Eve 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was the first child of the quarrelsome couple, Mary Emma and uh, Arnold Irwin Coral. Arnie, like most 50 dads, he was strict with his son. And, you know, Mary, she took a more protective side, but they would divorce when Dean was seven years old. They would have frequent moves. Then they had a reconciliation in Pasadena, Texas, which saw them marry again, but that didn't work out. And so the couple divorced again. Now, Mary, she likes to get married and divorced. Dean, in his childhood, when he wasn't busy making jewelry with the corpses of the various carrion that he found in the neighborhood, especially squirrels. He had a thing for squirrels. Everybody's got to have a hobby, though. Oh, yeah, of course. He was described as a shy boy who had little interactions with the other neighborhood kids, probably because they didn't want to make jewelry out of dead animals, which is understandable. (laughs) Her mother, uh, his mother had by now remarried for about the 20th time and the family had settled in Vida, Texas where his mother and his stepfather they started a small family-run candy company from the garage called Pecan Prince now D is it Pecan or Pecan how do you say it Pecan Pecan Americans say it Pecan 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 I would say it Pecan Pecan Pie Pecan so Pecan pie. In the earliest days of this setup, Dean, he would come home from school and he would immediately just begin work making candy and he would help box and process orders. And it didn't like seem to bother him. He kept good grades, uh, although he was noted for being a loner and he actually couldn't um, participate in school teams because he had a heart murmur. Yeah, no PE for uh, Dean Coral, which is probably a good thing. Like if I could have got out of phys ed, I'd be happy about that. Well, his heart murmur, it didn't stop him from casually dating girls and it didn't stop him from being drafted into the U.S. Army in 1964. I read during that that time, he actually did form a close relationship with a girl and he rejected a marriage proposal she made to him in 1962. Oh, how gooding for her. Yeah, I wonder if it was at like a sporting <laughs> event or something like a baseball game and he was just like, oh no. Oh, it came on oh, the kissatron. Yeah, like the yeah. jumbotron and he was just like, no way. Yeah. And he just like yeah. grabs his Listen, purse. Lady. And, like, <laughs> yeah. I do love I'm about that to find out that I'm really, really gay. <laughs> <laughs> because when he was in the army, he was sent to Fort Polk, Louisiana, or we're going to call it Fort Polk. Because it was here that Dean realized he was as gay as the days long. Finally lost his virginity. He was playing the hide the park sword with a fellow army cadet. And he would only last 10 months at Fort Polk because he was honorably discharged, meaning he could receive his soldier's pension. And he returned back to his now divorced mother. Again, this is like her 20th divorce. And she was now running her own candy company called, with some imagination, the Coral Candy Company. Here he would become vice president and pederast of the local Houston Heights neighborhood, which luckily for him was located across the street from a grade school. He does really look like a pederast. So, I mean, look at this picture. I mean, he's got that like face of a pedophile. You can the spot shifty them, eyes. You? Yeah, the shifty eyes, like always looking around I trying to find a little kid. He looks like a man with a twisted soul. I could say, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. But not all people with twisted souls are pedophiles. No. <laughs> it was this return home 
and the candy company that would actually provide the cover for Dean to turn from a kind of normal citizen into a ephebophile and a hebophile, which are basically just, you know, the fancy words for is attracted to teenage boys, serial killer. In what we call grooming, uh, Dean would hang out at the school gates daily to the point where he actually got banned off the school property because he was doling out free candy to the school children. It's like um, in a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, he's the child catcher. How creepy is that, though? This grown man hangs out at like the an elementary school just handing out candy. And they didn't. They were just like, please, sir, can you leave, sir? We're not banning you, but can you leave? Well, they even gave him the nickname. did two nicknames he also took to hiring these kids for after school labor helping make the candy and it was noted that although like the parents weren't happy about him being on school property they all thought he had a sweet smile and they dubbed him the candy man uh but he also had a another nickname that um called the pied piper yeah so he had like two (laughs) nicknames two exceedingly creepy nicknames What a good guy. Yeah. So one teenage boy who actually worked at the company, he made complaints to Mama Coral that Dean had made sexual advances towards him. And her her way to deal with this uh, little problem was to simply fire the child. So maybe this situation had been addressed at that time. 27 young boys wouldn't have met their deaths at the hands of the candy man. But, you know, hindsight, D, it's a terrible thing. Isn't it? Why would she believe the boy? Well... You know, she trusted her son, the VP of the candy <laughs> company. There was lots of young boys handing out, hanging out at the factory now. Dean had even installed a pool table in the rec area, and he encouraged them to bring their friends. It was a hangout spot for the bored 1970s kids in the neighborhood, and there was a lot of them. And it soon became a mecca for these runaways that were, came from troubled homes. And there was a lot in Houston at the time because in Texas in the early 1970s, it actually wasn't illegal for a child to run away from home and to stay away from home. So the chief of the Houston Police Department claimed that there was nothing that authorities could do to help them. And so all these kids kind of clung to the Candyman as like a father figure. Do you think he made them wear like lederhosen and paint their skin orange and have green wigs and (laughs) sing songs? When, uh, you know, to teach other kids a, more, a lesson about morality. That's what you would do. Well, no, I'm just wondering. It's like he had a candy company. You don't think he had any Oompa Loompas? These were little kids. <laughs> They're about Oompa Loompa size. Well, to be fair, I would, I would go down the Oompa Loompa. If you can have an Oompa Loompa, why not have one? It's a bit no like how I No girls are Oompa Loompas, all right? No girls allowed. No, no girls are allowed to be on podcasts. <laughs> And no girls are allowed to be umplumpers. Quit trying okay? to ruin my candy factory. <laughs> God. Um, you're right kids... about the runaways, though. Um, oh, yeah. We have a little clip. Don't yeah, we? here's a little clip, a clip from uh, the police chief over here in Houston talking about some of the uh, runaways who worked at uh, um, Pedophile Wonka's factory. How would you classify this series of crimes? Just like I said a while ago, hell of a sadistic type of a clown that pull something like this. And you think most of these victims are young boys? I'm pretty reasonably sure they are. The reports that we have missing persons are all a bunch of kids, 13, 14, 15 years old. The death side and the grave side itself appears tragic enough, but do you think many of them went under any torture? Well, when you're fooling with a, a nut like this, it, 
but for a pervert, uh, you can expect mostly anything. I love this guy's voice. Sounds like Foghorn like, Leghorn. I was going to say, it's like Boomhauer. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, you're pulling away to pervert. Could do anything. One of the kids, one of the boys, actually, uh, who hung out, hung out at the factory was a kid named David Brooks, who was 12 years old when he was first snuck a piece of candy from the candy man. So for two years, he'd regularly be given sweet treats and like tidbits from Dean. He was considered a favorite. And when he was 14 years old in 1969, pederast Dean raped him for the first time. So in 1969 as well, on uh, Dean's 30th birthday, it was noted that he kind of took a shift in his personality. He didn't seem to be as nice or as sweet anymore. He was more sullen, more glum. It could be that his conscience was maybe catching up with him. He was now, by this point, regularly paying Brooks in cash or gifts so that the young boy would perform uh, blowjobs on him. They would often go away for day trips together, appearing as father and son, a real twisted father and son. <laughs> so, so much so that when Brooks dropped out of high school and he would stay at his real father's home in Houston, he'd actually hang out all weekend with Coral instead. And he regarded it as his second home to the point where he did just end up living there. It was a second home that he was being raped in, but it was a second home nonetheless. Here's a picture of uh, young David Brooks and old David Brooks. So um, just a little... Uh, what prison life will do to you. Yeah, <laughs> you, you age. But then again, he was in there for a long time. So Dean, there was kind of like the air of suspicion about his relationship with David Brooks because he was now essentially alone in his Houston Heights neighborhood. Um, because his mother, after guess what, another divorce, along God. with his half sister, I know she's freaking loves getting married. She married? Yeah, why, who's marrying her? <laughs> Desperate men. Well, you know Desperate. what though? She owns a candy company. I mean, she must have had some money. Well, it was a candy company that she operated out of her garage. Oh, okay. Say she's got money. So. How many Oompa Loompas? Oh, at least by this point, fourteen. Okay, that's all right. So they upstaged. They moved to Colorado. She shut the candy company. So Dean now oh. had to get a job, and he became an electrician for the Houston Light and Power Company. Mama Coral, she loved her son deeply. She begged him to move with them, but he didn't want to for reasons that will soon become apparent. And they spent the rest of his life talking often on the phone. She would never see him again, and now Dean was free from the prying eyes of his mother. So what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I can imagine. To <laughs> yeah. To begin with, he moved frequently throughout the Pasadena era of Houston. He would never really stay in a place for more than a few months. And his apartments were always full of teen boys. And he was really good at entertaining these teen boys. He would, teen boys, he would ply them with beer, weed, paint and glue to hoof. <laughs> a smorgasbord. Pardon? He's like a smorgasbord of drugs. <laughs> a smorgasbord of a There's some paints. Here's some glue. Just go have at it, you guys. And so in what reminded me of, like, Charles Manson, he would never get fu fucked up. Dean would maybe have one beer while all these kids would be getting absolutely annihilated, which is a very Charles Manson thing to do to keep control. And he would actually encourage all the teenage boys in the neighborhood to come and hang out. Teenage boys. Girls I, weren't allowed. I'm amazed that there's, like, all these boys are like, oh, yeah, let's go hang out at the creepy candy man's house. The Candyman's like, house. I mean, maybe it's different in, what is this, the 60s? But, yeah. you know, when I was in high school, like in the 90s, if someone was like, 
oh yeah, you know that like fully grown man who has a house <laughs> and he'll give you beer and and paint thinner. But we, you know, we call him the candy man because he used to hang out at the elementary school passing out candy to kids. You want to go over there? I'd be like, I think that's a hard pass for me. <laughs> Until he's starting offering you money. All right. Well, it depends on how much. Um, so his buddy, David Brooks, had actually only months before these types of parties started happening, walked in on Dean as he had two naked teenage boys tied to his bed on his first prototype torch board, which was a seven foot long slab of three inch thick plywood, which he had made holes in to secure ropes in so that he could restrain wrists and ankles, which is very gacy. And uh, Brooks had walked in and found Dean sexually assaulting the boys. Dean got around it because he promised David that it was all a joke, ha, 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 albeit a cruel one. And so he untied the boys and he freed them. These boys honestly don't know how lucky they were. <laughs> and at this point, David could have maybe turned in, um, you know, Dean could have said he's been raping me and I've now I've caught him doing this to some kids my age. But by now his roommate slash boyfriend, he kind of chose to believe Dean. And because Dean had said that he just intended to take Polaroids of the boys and he was going to sell them to fellow pedophiles that he knew in pedophile rings. And besides, Dean bought David a nice little new Corvette. And so David was just like, I'll keep silent. And his silence undoubtedly cost lives and had him caught in this web of lives with Dean. Well, they were definitely in collusion at this point. I mean, he was, you know, getting gifts. And I think he... I mean, I would like to say, like, David Brooks lacked, you know, a keen sense of judgment. Because, I mean, if it was me and I, I saw, you know, two naked teenage boys tied to a torture board, I'd be like, I don't even care about the free weed. I'm done. I'm done. We're, I'm out. I'm over this. Keep your carpet. But Keep I it. think there was definitely collusion here because he's like, well, you know, sure, he rapes a bunch of boys. He's in a gay porn ring you know, pedophiles. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm getting a Corvette. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I think this kid at this point ch- kind of shows greed over uh, compassion here. So we're going to start kind of getting into like the first known of uh, Dean's murders. Let because... me just point out real quick, though. Look at the face of the one cop here standing in front of the torture board. <laughs> Which call him. He's just like, he's got this like grimace on his face of just like. He looks like Billy Bob Carton in Sling Blade. He is just not happy to be there. The other guys, the the other good old boys, just like, all right, look at this torture board. But this guy's just like, I can't believe My mama had one of these on the farm. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the first known victim um, slash believed victim of Coral is. Jeffrey Conan, and he disappeared while he was hitchhiking from Austin to Houston to be with his girlfriend on September the 25th, 1970. So he had accepted a ride from the Candyman, and he was never seen again until his decomposing body was dug up from its shallow grave. So like I said, they say that Jeffrey was his first real victim, although judging by Dean's years of grooming and sexual abuse, this is kind of hard to know for sure and probably will never actually be known. Dean had now managed to convince David that if he brought him boys, he would pay him a finder's fee up to $200 a head. And um, so he began to procure boys that he felt would make Daddy Dean happy. And on December the 13th, which is only a couple of months later of the same year, 
David would first bring the boys to die at the hands of Dean Coral, now the devil of Houston Heights. James Glass and David Yates, both 14 years old. David hadn't known James, but he'd actually been a lifelong friends with David Yates. And he had no qualms watching Dean rape, torture, and murder the boys on his torture board. And in See, fact, David joined in too. That's the thing. That's, he is definitely receiving some kind of sexual gratification from this as well. Um, quick fact here. Completely. Brooks lured the two boys. I mean, he knew... Um, David Yates really well, but he lured these boys from a religious rally held oh, in wow. Houston Heights. Yeah. And he's just like, you guys want to come over to my friend's apartment? And they're just like, yeah, screw Jesus. Let's go and, uh, <laughs> you know, snort some, Smoke uh, some weed. Yeah. Huff some oh, no. paint. Next thing you know, torture board. That's what happens when you turn your back on Jesus. Praise the Lord. So he took Brooks with him to bury the boys in his rented boat shed, which was big enough for a yacht, but it was now become his graveyard. So the landlady of the boat shed, she said it was strange how in all the years that he rented this offer, he, she never saw him own a boat. And um, he would come to the shed several times a week. And when it rained, the smell was appalling. But she was actually considering renting him a second boat shed as, hey, like money talks. And who actually has less scruples than a serial killer over than a landlord or over than Ted Cruz? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're, they all have the same level of scruples at that point. So only six weeks after his double murder, he would rape and strangle 15-year-old brothers, uh, Donald and Jerry Waldrop, who would join the ever-increasing missing kids list of Houston. Brooks next handed Coral his friend, because these kids were all his friend. He knew all these people. 15-year-old well, Randall Harvey... Yeah, and he knew them from just around town. Randall Harvey was actually only wanted a ride to work, and instead he got a ride to death. Just no conscience. I mean, he knew what was going to happen. He knew the fate. And that he was participated these kids. too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. he participated in the murders. Gregory Winkle, 15, was next, and David Hillgeist, 15. They were next-door neighbors, and they would actually become next-door neighbors in the graveyard boat shed because Dean strangled them one by one after he has raped them as Brooks looked on. Both these boys had also worked formally at the factory, um, with Gregory only working there for a short spell. So unlike a lot of these other kids, who some of them were runaways, Gregory's family, they had been aware of like the rising number of teenage boys going missing. So they launched their own investigation because they knew the Houston cops were fucking shit. They weren't gonna do anything. They started handing out flyers, they performed search parties. And one of the boys who helped look for any evidence that Gregory was still alive was Gregory's lifelong friend, a teen by the name of Elmer Wayne Henley. Elmer Wayne Henley, he was also an acquaintance of David Brooks. And within just six months, Elmer would have forgotten all about his lifelong friend, Gregory, and instead be invested in his new relationship with Dean Coral. That's the thing I don't get, though, is all these parents, now these parents are like, oh, these teenage boys are missing. The police are like, these teenage boys are missing. How did no one suspect the guy who was having parties with all these teenage boys, the guy who lived on his own, he was single, you know, an adult who was furnishing these teens with alcohol and drugs. And I'm sure they could have asked anybody like, hey, where'd you get that weed? Oh, from the candy man. Remember that creepy motherfucker that used to hang out at the elementary school? He's got a house, gives us all weed. No one suspected that guy. No one, no one figured, hey, that dude's a little weird. 
I will get into how corrupt the Houston police were, but I just think the Houston police honestly didn't give a fuck. Yeah, that's all I can say runaways. about them. Yeah, and they just like on when we go into like the investigation later on, you'll see exactly what I mean. So on August the 17th, 1971, Dean will kill Reuben Watson, who was 17. But he was kind of beginning to bore of the Robin to his Batman. In just eight months, David Brooks had provided eight victims. But he was now kind of running out of friends. He didn't have many to begin with. So in walks Elmer. Yeah, that's what you got to Yeah. So Elmer was actually first introduced as a sacrificial lamb for Dean's cock. But Dean actually took a liking to the good-looking teen, and instead he decided to keep him. And he offered them the same deal he had given Brooks in the beginning, which is 200 books for every broy that he could bring forward for the pedophile ring. Um, he was now living at his Pasadena suburb home. He also, at one point, said that uh, he was involved in a white slavery ring. And this, this kid, Henley, was like, oh, that's cool, 200 bucks is 200 bucks. Yeah, don't worry about me. Because yeah. Hen Henley later said, Dean told me he would pay me 200 bucks for every boy I could bring in. And maybe maybe more if they were really good-looking boys. But in reality, Coral's a cheapskate, right? I mean, he's not making 200 bucks. That is an electrician job. So he'd actually only give the boys, Brooks and Henley, five or ten bucks if he did give them any money at all. Henley, he s insisted that he initially refused the offer but, you know, his family's financial hardship and um, not his like for having a threesome with murderers was what <laughs> led him to accept it. But even when he was paid far less than he hoped, he didn't back out. And he actually, uh, David Brooks said that Henley seemed flattered to be included. They're part of a gang now. They got a team. It's a team Yeah, effort. well, the three of them called themselves the Alliance of Evil. And they would drive around in Dean's Plymouth GTX muscle car, which also, <laughs> uh, speaking of Plymouth, Gacy also drove a Plymouth, but he drove Did he have an a GTX. Oh, no, Gacy didn't have a, a GTX. GTX yeah, Did no, he? Gacy had an old, old oh, mobile. Older Plymouth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, or he would also drive around in the white company van and they would bribe boys to get in using candy, alcohol, or drugs. God, this guy just has to become creepier and creepier. Not only does <laughs> yeah, he have a creepy he's got a white house, <laughs> he worked at a candy factory. They call him the candy man, and he passes candy out of his creepy rape van. And yeah, no so one still, no one suspects this guy as being the pedo killer. of his creepy white van, it was actually, on the inside, it was a roaming torture chamber set up on wheels. It had multiple pegboards inside. It was drilled, <laughs> that was drilled with holes for nylon cords and handcuffs. And it was like, kind of like the, a mock-up of his torture board, but on wheels. Like, what a sick fucker. And they yeah, would I all drive they around, drove around listening to. And hopefully Sabbath, but um, you know it would be the rhubarb and custard theme tune. Da na 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 na. And then yet more echoes of Gacy. Dean was also a, a big fan of the handcuff trick. The trick being that you had to be with the one with the key, and this would usually occur within minutes of the boys entering the vehicle. What's interesting about this handcuff trick, but it is something that Gacy also uh, employed did himself this was a ruse that henley and coral prepared so henley cuffed his own hands behind his back and then freed himself with a key hidden in the back pocket so the kid's like oh you can you can escape from the cuffs let me give it a try but then he had duped the youth into dying the handcuffs before observing coral bind and gag him then henley would leave the youth alone believing 
that Coral was going to sell the kid into a sexual slavery ring. Well, that's what he says. Yeah. It's like, well, my work's mm. done. I've done my little handcuff trick. I'm going to go uh, grab a beer. So you guys, team. <laughs> Do what you want, alliance yeah. of evil. By this point, the boys would then be taken back to the Pasadena shithole that uh, Dean was living in. If they had families, if the boys weren't runaways, Dean would force them to write postcards home, often making them say that they were running away and not to bother looking for them. Then they would be starved for however long they were there or given the bare amount of food or water or piss to survive on. He made them drink his own piss or their piss. Then Henley and Brooks, they would help Coral strip the boys naked. They would tape their mouths, bind their hands and legs, and they would fasten them to the torture board before all three raped them using their own cocks and various dildos with a dildo that was double-ended and 18 inches long being found amongst his torture setup. The torture board was just intended for torture. And with Henley being described as extremely sadistic by Brooks, he would actually be a main cause of their pain. Yeah, I read that uh, Henley assisted Coral Brooks in the abduction murder of two youths named Billy Balch and Johnny DeLome. Mm-hmm. Um, in Brooks's confession later on, he stated that both youths were tied to Coral's bed, and after their torture and rape, Henley manually strangled Balch and then shouted, Hey, Johnny, and shot DeLome in the forehead with the bullet exiting through the youth's ear. Oh. DeLome then was pleading with Henley, like, Wayne, please don't, before he was strangled. And then both youths were uh, buried at High Island Beach, the boathouse. But yeah, yes. Henley was far more sadistic than Brooks. Both of them equally lacked any kind of sense of conscience or mercy. Completely. But, yeah. but Henley, I think, actually received some kind of sadomasochistic, like sado- sadistic pleasure from this. Oh, I think he did too. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes the the boys would be there days before they would finally be killed um, because Dean was very meticulous and ritualistic in his acts, which is common for serial killers. And um, it went unreported at the time the murders were discovered because it was deemed too gruesome for the ears of the public. Because this is before Bundy. This is before Gacy. He's like really kind of the first to do something on this level. It was a few so years instance, before Bundy though, right? Like Bundy yeah, was before what, they late took 70s? Over. This was like early 70s? Yeah. yeah. So one of their favorite parts of their twisted torture game was to shove long glass tubes down the boys' urethras, and then they would break them off inside. Dean would sometimes gnaw off the dicks of those that would upset him on the torture boards. Um, Investigators kind of deduced this due to the wounds. It looked like the penis had been ripped off in one bite. And then after he'd ripped off the penis with his mouth, he would carefully wrap and preserve the genitals in a plastic bag that was found in the boat shed. Speaking of other disgusting things found in the boat shed, Dean, he would use either pliers or his fingernails. He would spend hours plucking plucking the pubic hair out from his uh, prepubescent victims. He intended to do this to kind of keep them awake for many hours and bags of hair were found among the debris in the boat shed. Now, if Dean took a liking to one of his captives, he would release them from the board and he would force them into a box. The box, which was perhaps like the oddest handmade oddity in the murder room, it was a little smaller than a coffin, but it had air holes and his trusty nylon cords inside. It's not known how long the boys were forced to lay in this makeshift coffin, but it is known that he would use this box to like transport their dead bodies from his house to the boat shed. 
So the manner of death for the boys, it was usually all the same. They were either strangled or they were shot at close range. All three would participate in this act. Sometimes they would all have their hands wrapped around the throats of their victims. And I'm not going to deep dive into the psychology of why Coral preferred strangling right here. I think it's obvious considering the brutality of what we've just talked about. So I was reading that the uh, the frequency of the killings and the increase in the brutality exhibited by Dean Coral towards the victims was kind of like a the, the way Brooks described it, it was like a bloodlust. Um, he and uh, Henley would say that uh, they would instinctively know when Coral was was to announce Ready. that he needed to do a new boy. Yeah, when he was like fiending to go kill a boy due to the fact that he would appear restless, pacing, smoking cigarettes, and making like reflex movements. Oh, and so they're just like, oh, looks like we got to go get another one. It's time for another victim. <laughs> Who are we going to have next on the board? So in The Man with the Candy, Jack Olson, he details multiple occasions where Coral, he either shot someone in the chest or he had one of his teenage henchmen shoot a victim at point-blank range. The victims, they were always left to bleed out, sometimes as Coral continued to molest them, which is basically now pushing him into necrophilia territory. On one yeah. occasion, But Wayne, is it that much worse? I mean, it's kind of expected at this no, point. No, I mean, fuck it. Like, yeah. what else is he going to do? All the other things he just did. Yeah, it's not unexpected at all. On one explosion, Wayne, he accidentally shot a boy in the face, blowing off a portion of his jaw. Rather than just, you know, put the boy out of his misery, they just lay, let him there bleed out in Dean's torture room. And apparently it took about two days Ugh. for him to finally bleed out and die. And what did they do, like, during this time? Like, the the, the evil of Probably just get high. just, like, watching TV. Yeah, sucking each other off, getting high, talking. Although I don't think any of them had big brains enough to talk about anything. None of these guys are like reading Shakespeare to each other. So we've got the echoes of Manson, Gacy, and Dharma. And like the BTK killer, one has to wonder why Coral, who is just as dangerous, if not more so, isn't like is on a higher cannon, even though his body count is so high. One of the reasons I think is the same reason, like for when you mentioned Bob Badella before, we covered him in episode 7074. He isn't as well known as Dean Coral for this reason, is because he didn't have a public trial or imprisonment. Dean Coral was dead before any of this madness became public knowledge, perhaps because the newspapers could only find a handful of grainy black and white pictures of Coral. He never gave an interview. And of course, the public would soon become fixated on the more media-accessible killers who followed him in his wake, like Bundy, who crisscrossed the country, bludgeoning and strangling women to death, which well, in those days is like, you know, homosexuality was still like a looked-down-upon thing here. Well, yeah, that's the thing. good-looking I mean, ladies. I think it's deviant if you're homosexual, whereas, like, Bundy was a ladies' man. You know, yeah, admittedly, I think he's a bit more charismatic, too. So, uh... Berdella, what was his body count? Is it known? Berdella's, it... Yeah, Berdella's wasn't very high. It was only about um, six or seven victims. But Berdella was a torturer. Yeah, and yeah. he got off on the sexual sadic, sadistic, sadistic acts, acts that he occurred, which is very much on par with what Coral was doing. But uh, Gacy had 33. So he actually had five more that well as far as we know that we know of yeah, yeah from uh from coral so and gacy also because i just covered gacy on overkill so you can hear about like the type of like components that gacy rigged up in his house for torturing the boys 
Mm. It's a next level serial killing. So yeah. we're going to get into how this absolute piece of shit died. So Henley had brought several of his friends to the slaughter, nine in fact by this time, the youngest and last victim being 13-year-old um, James Stanton Drew Miller, and he had been snatched off his bike by uh, Elmer Wayne. But the Alliance of Evil, it's pretty much on his last legs now. Brooks was actually growing jealous of how Henley was Dean's new bestie, and he simply decided he wasn't gay anymore. He got a girl pregnant and he skipped town. Henley was still partying, huffing glue regularly and frequently at the uh, 2020 Lama drive home. But then he did the most egregious thing possible, D. He tried to involve a clam in the sausage party. Oh, I know all about that. You Please do. Me. You do. At around 3 a.m. on August the 8th, 1973, coming up to the anniversary, basically, Elmer, along with his fellow friends and fuck-ups, although they were nowhere near as fucked up as him, 19-year-old Timothy Cordell Curley and 15-year-old Rhonda Louise Williams. They were all sat in Dean's living room, getting high on weed, uh, doing whippets, drinking some booze, and it didn't take long before all three of them passed out. Having been enraged that Henley would bring a girl into his house how because as a gay he? man, how dare he? As a gay man, De Dean cannot stand the sound of a woman's voice. And now... Here she is. She's broken up the boys' club, so he's plotting his revenge. Well, Coral was furious that uh, Henley had brought a girl to the house, telling him in private. Like, he, he took him out. He took Henley in private, like, in another room. He's like, you ruined everything. And he explained. And so Henley was trying to say that Williams, I guess, got into a bad argument with her abusive father. And that's why she didn't wish to return home. And he's like, I don't care. You ruined everything. Which kind of echoes the feeling of uh, huh. a few Where listeners, a few <laughs> listeners to this podcast when ex-listeners, uh, yeah, when a, a new host came along, they were just like, "You've ruined everything." Podcast is between two men. Men, I like listening to two men talk. You for don't hours. bring a woman into a boy's home. Well, you don't, because this is what will happen to you, Dean. <laughs> he tainted the home. That's what happened. So after a few hours, Elmer, he woke up, he was laying on his stomach, and Dean was slapping a pair of handcuffs on him this time. His mouth was taped shut and his ankles were tied together. The same treatment had been applied to his friends, but Timothy was had been stripped naked. Whoa. So, seeing Tables that his friend, turned. yeah, fellow rapist and child yeah. molester had awoken, Dean removed the gag from Henley's mouth. And, you know, Henley is now obviously pleading for his life. He's pleading for his friend's life. Suddenly, like, the, you know, the murder-death kill shoots on the other foot, and he doesn't like it, of course, naturally. Coral again stated how he was angry with Henley for replacing a man on a podcast with a woman and that he was going to kill all three teenagers because of this. That's what, exactly what he said. He said, you've replaced a man with a woman on a podcast, and I don't like change, and I don't like the ladies. This is going to be it now. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people had that same sentiment. Man, you blew it bringing them. that girl. Yeah, this is. You this sounds it. like some of our uh, reviews. It. Man, you blew it bringing that girl. Your best years are behind you now. I'm gonna kill you all, but first, I'm gonna have my fun. That's how I imagined he said it. I'm gonna have my fun. <laughs> Henley managed to actually convince Dean. It took him a while. It took him about half an hour yeah, to uh, untie him. Thirty minutes of discussion. Like, he had 30 minutes to no convince him. Out. I would love to know what he said. You well, he, whatever it is, it worked because Dean untied it. He did. And he, and together, they would rape and murder his friends. But this time, it kind of wasn't going to end that way. So there's a little clip of Elmer talking to the local news uh, station at the time. 
Me up and took them into a bedroom and strapped them to the board. Strapped strapped Tim on his stomach, spread eagle on the board, and strapped Rhonda beside the board, beside Tim on her back. First, he wanted Tim to take Rhonda, but Tim couldn't or he wasn't or something. And so he wanted me to take her, and he was going to mess with Tim. Yeah, so he's describing the scene of what was actually about to happen. You can hear the cadence of the man there as well. But Henley must have done like the secret Alliance of Evil handshake or something and totally convinced them like, we're going to murder together. Go team. Captain Planet. And the way that Henley states it from now on is, is, is that his murder of the serial killer is actually what makes him a hero. Dean rushed at Henley because Henley had managed to get hold of the pistol and he held it at the naked pederast and he shouted, I can't go on any longer. I can't have you kill all my friends. So he doesn't sound like like him at all, but that was totally what he sounds like. Suspending my disbelief and I'm thinking (laughs) that this English girl from the north of England can actually do an accent of a uh, guy from Texas, but. Well, you maybe should have got a man on the podcast who you, can do. You blew a Texas it. Accent. You blew it, Dean. <laughs> I blew you ruined it. everything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like um, he was saying this, like he wasn't bringing all his friends to be murdered in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was weird about it is that he's he convinced Henley, or Henley convinced Coral to untie him, and then he was just like, "All right, you take her, I'll do him." Go team. And then yeah. it was at that point that Henley, which actually was Rhonda Williams, who was just like kind of looking at him, was just like, aren't you going to do something? Are you going to let this happen? And it was that moment that Henley like decided to make it stop. It's like, I can't go on any longer. And that's when he grabbed the, the gun and pointed yeah. it at Coral. So Coral, who was naked because he was getting ready to rape, he approached Elmer saying, kill me, Wayne. You won't do it. That's how I imagine he sounds. All right. Once well, again, not even close, but that's fine. <laughs> you, you'll blow this chance like you did. <laughs> well, Elmer Wayne Henley, he fired one shot from the twenty-two caliber pistol at Coral's forehead, although it failed to penetrate. Yeah, it failed to penetrate his thick skull, though. <laughs> Must be like, no one at me about guns. I don't know anything about guns, but I know that it's quite a low caliber pistol. Yeah, but 22. you can kill someone. You can kill someone, especially that close. You can definitely kill somebody. Yeah. So he would fire five rounds into his ex lover and friend, and Dean would die naked, bleeding out against the hallway wall outside the room where other teens had been bound and where other teens had ended their lives in a brutal fashion and had been carried out wrapped in plastic. Henley actually said that his first immediate thought was that Dean would have been proud of him for the way that he had behaved during the confrontation because he had kept his cool and Dean had been training him to act quickly in those types of circumstances. And that's exactly what he did. And he's kind of like Dexter or something like training, you know, other people to be a killer. Killers. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. do you remember that? There was, I forget what season that was when uh, Dexter had like his accomplice. And they both kind of work together. It was is that terrible. the third season? Is that after the fire season? The yeah, fire I think it was the third season after the fire season. I, I stopped watching at that point. But it's it's interesting because Dean, you know, had mil- had military training. Although I don't think he really saw any kind of combat or anything. He did not. Well, at I think all. he dodged the draft because he said he's like, I gotta work at the candy store with my mom. Yeah, um, he dodged the draft, but he didn't dodge the park sword. 
Yeah. That's but, what I mean, he went away to Abby for. <laughs> but I think he was like, you know, obviously grooming these kids, but also training them to like have his back, you know, when he's yeah. like, you know, you never know, they might try to escape or something and got to bust a cap in there. We got to get him back. We all know that Henley isn't the hero here. He untied his friends, and they all kind of came to a grief decision to call the police. And now the stage is set for the investigation into the most prolific and brutal cases of a murder in American history. Together with Brooks, um, he actually led the police to where nearly all the bodies were buried in their three separate locations. All the bodies were found with their hands bound, naked, wrapped in plastic, all had lime poured over them, you know, obviously to help speed decay. There was various states of decomposition were noted with some bodies being fully skeletonized and some the flesh clung to their bones like jelly. Not that the Houston police actually really did uh, a good investigation. It was botched from the get-go. When they entered that wretched boat shed with the putrefying smell, they'd never seen anything like it before. Not many local cops had ever dealt with a case like this. And then they actually knew that they couldn't make a proper investigation. So instead of calling in maybe a governing body to oversee it, they just said, fuck it. They honestly just said, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. Vital evidence, such as a bike that had belonged to a victim, mementos, clothing, anything that was found on top of the soil in the boat shed, aye, they just chucked it out. They had no need for it. <laughs> Houston's finest. Houston's finest, people. And instead of bringing in properly trained forensic professionals, like they did in the Gacy ta- um, case they did with Bundy, they just bust in some actual prisoners from the nearby jail instead of giving them the proper tools needed for digging up dead bodies, which are traditionally made of wood, so you don't like you know ruin the skeleton. They just gave them garden shovels, and they were like, "Have at it, lads! Just dig, dig a hole. You're in jail." I mean, in their defense, though, it's it's not like they've dealt with many serial murders like this yeah but then so, exactly so then wouldn't you call in like the fbi and be like yeah, you think need some help. after 28 murders or 27 kids that, that have gone missing or they start finding bodies you'd think they would call in the professionals at this point but they're not gonna it didn't take long for the first body to be found and then another and another and within a week 17 bodies have been recovered from the boathouse shed 10 bodies from High Island Beach and in the woods near Lake Sam Rayburn. Well, in, uh, they went to Coral's home after this. And yeah. uh, it is at his home address, they found a large hunting knife, rolls of clear plastic of the same type used to cover the floor. So he made like a kill room. A portable radio, yeah, rigged to a pair of dry cells to give increased volume. So maybe well, to, stop to, the screams. to camouflage the screams. An electric motor with loose wires attached, eight pairs of handcuffs, a number of dildos, thin glass tubes, we all know what those are used for, and lengths of rope. Mm-hmm. And then in his Ford Econoline van, the creepy white rape van where he used to drive around and hand out candy, um, they also kind of conveyed a similar impression. The rear windows of the van were sealed by, an, by opaque blue curtains. Nothing creepy about that. In the <laughs> rear of the vehicle, they found a coil of rope a swatch of beige rug covered in soil stains and a wooden crate with air holes drilled in the sides. The pegboard walls inside the rear of the van were rigged with several rings and hooks. And there was another wooden crate with air holes drilled in the, in the sides there in, in uh, Coral's backyard. And inside this crate were strands of human hair and blood. 
Right, so yeah, this is like several. He loved making these boxes, these boy boxes. Yeah, these like boy coffin boxes or something. I'm going to start calling my uh, my pussy the boy coffin box. <laughs> yeah, where, where dicks go to die. <laughs> where dicks um, go to die. But was this like something like you're on timeout? Like if you weren't like giving head properly or something, it's like going to the box. Yeah, you're going box. in the box. I actually think it's the opposite. I think if he liked you, he would put you in the coffin until he was ready to go again. And then he would get you out the coffin and put you back on the board. God, how is that like he likes you? It's just like, oh, let's prolong this torture. Yeah, he's a sick fuck and I'm glad he's dead. He's dead. So police didn't find the remains of the 28th victim until 1983. And as it goes, there's still one victim left unidentified with the second... Um, to last unknown victim, he was only identified through DNA testing in 2011. But there's actually no way to know if there will ever be more victims or not. So in the Jack Olson book, uh, Dean's mother claims that there must be more victims. There's some must be buried under the floors of their old candy factory. But the police, they're not taking these claims seriously. They won't be investing anything soon, which is not a shock considering it's the Houston police. I'm surprised they haven't reopened this. I mean, the property's still there. They're not going there. to. The boat sheds are still there. Like, I'm surprised they haven't, like, you know, a Netflix documentary isn't like, let's go find the more vic- you know, more victims of the Netflix. Candyman. Netflix will never cover Dean Coral because they can't make money off this. This is just not, this is too torturous. Yeah, so speaking of the police, the Houston police, after the bungled investigation came to light and the murders and the disappearance of so many young boys hit the public attention, the police chief, he was finally voted out first chance they got. <laughs> Not surprised. Henley, yeah, well, Henley, he was convicted of six murders and sentenced to six life sentences. Brooks was convicted of one murder, and he received a life sentence as well. I don't understand how that guy only got, was convicted of just one murder. Because it's all speculation with Brooks, because he wasn't around at the time of being caught. Whereas they probably did have some vital evidence for Henley. Here's a picture of old Brooks. Old man Brooks. Brooks never publicly spoke on the case, and his lips remained tightly sealed on his thoughts regarding the whole scenario that he found himself participating in. Henley, on the other hand, he turned into a total chatty cafe. He was giving as many interviews as as he could. He had his own Facebook page to promote his very mediocre art, and he actively downplayed his sadistic acts and roles in the crimes. And he changed his story many, many, many times. I like the, also, I like the idea of his like fantasy here of that he's the hero. Like he's like, oh yeah, you know, I, sure, I might have killed some boys, might have raped a few, might have tortured, tortured a few, them. but I'm a hero because I saved my friends in the end. It's like, what, he what, did, what, did he, what, did he, what was he thinking was going to happen? Well, he still kept saying throughout his whole chatty cafe time in prison, my only regret is that Dean isn't here now, so I could tell him what a good job I did killing him. I love the actor that played him in, uh, that played Henley in Mindhunter. People have seen Mindhunter. I know you don't like it, but it's a a pretty, I think it's an enjoyable show. Is his accent as good as mine? He's he's also English. He's he's from Game of Thrones. (gasps) But he, he is exactly how... I pictured uh, Wayne Henley to look like, and he, and but it was also like you know he was so willing to talk for hours to the FBI, like just very chatty about, it, almost like proud of what what happened. Yeah, he wanted to be included. Yeah. So 
he i think it's funny how he's like oh yeah i want to tell dean what a good job i did killing him well he had to shoot him six fucking times that's not a good job a good job to me of killing someone with a gun is to shoot them once in the head boom uh, maybe dead. he's not a good shot luckily for all of us for everyone in mankind finally covid did something good for us he died in may of 2020 a victim of the covid oh, david, david brooks enough, did david yeah, brooks, brooks did died. as well yep. Did uh, he wait, did in, Henley die from COVID? Yeah, he died in May of 2020. Oh, and wow. uh, so did David Brooks. They oh, died I didn't realize in... they both died from the COVID. Yeah, separate, separate. Yeah, isn't that great news? Yeah. So they're both fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's much to be said about Brooks and Henley. Yeah, they were groomed by Dean Coral, and they are in some ways victims. But even though Houston, it was certainly a rundown city with high levels of teen runaways and crime. Only they chose to bring boys to be fucked, tortured, and murdered by Dean. And not only that, but they participated throughout the whole thing. And if Henley hadn't have confessed at that time, chances are they probably would have gotten away with it. Those pesky pederasts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's interesting the way uh, Henley and his friends are like, they all got together like, let's just go to the police. Like, I wonder if that was, if Henley thought he would, the police would be like, you're a hero because you saved the day. Or do you I think, think so. Or do you think the first thing, as soon as they went to the police, these kids are like, dude, this guy, you should see his friend and his whole little alliance of evil and the secret handshake and the torture board. Lock this guy up. And I then, can't explain that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I then I think the he truth. tried to and it just got worse and worse. Then he uh, you know, called out Brooks. So I think Dean will always remain a mystery. The Houston mass murders, it's kind of a rabbit hole of lots of unanswered questions. And the more time that passes, the less likely it is that any of these questions will be answered. And as of 2018, there's still several missing, identified and unidentified and possible but uncertain victims of coral. Most famously, there's the boy in the box Polaroid. Oh yeah, I actually have a picture of that. Um, Terrible. I think I showed it earlier, but... I think you did, yeah. So the investigators, they actually cut short the search for more graves. And even in the final grave that they dug up, there were two bones that didn't belong to any of the other bodies that I had recovered. So like, there's more evidence of that. There's only three people who can end the mystery, and now all of them are dead. As of today, in the Heights area, there's a whole new generation of young professionals. They've torn down found some of the old bungalows that once stood there. They've made it into an urban nightmare village of yoga studios, coffee shops, and townhouses. Nothing is remembered of Dean Coral. There's no plaque to mention that the boys died there. Some of the current residents, uh, the ones that have heard about the trio's rampage, they actually assume that it's a bizarre urban legend that began and ended during the Nixon administration. Wow. Sadly, in this case, the past... It isn't the pasty. The bones of the dead missing teen boys, they probably lay beneath their feet as they sip their chai lattes and they check their Twitter feeds and they see that Ted Cruz has called out a lefty troll for his evil Jewish twisted soul ways. And they won't realize that the face of Dean Coral was the last face that some 28 young boys, probably more, saw as they gasped their final breaths. Here's a picture of a few of the boys there. Um, craziest, well, the craziest thing is like, they're all like buddies of the two accomplices, you know, it's, I can't really think of too many, I mean, there's duos and there's couples, but how many serial killers, you know, that had like two little henchmen working for him, two toadies going out and getting the boy, like 
You go out 200 bucks, bring the boys back. Not many, not many outside of like a criminal organization. Although I bet what will happen is I'll, I'll remember one in like four hours time and I'll be, God damn it. I could have talked about that killer too. You know, I read that, um, when I was doing research on this, that the Houston police, like a few years later, found a box of, pol- like they raided, uh, a suspected pedophile and they found a box of Polaroids that had pictures of some of the victims. Yes. Of Dean Coral. So they suspected that the way the way Coral was like, you know, I'm involved in a pedophile ring or a white slavery ring, he might not have been lying. And that could have been going on at the time. You know, he yeah. he could have like, you know, maybe he made extra money dealing boys or buying boys from these rings. I was also reading that um so there's obviously still a lot of kids missing from that time period in that era these parents are still alive and they regularly write the houston police to be like please can you open up the investigation into my son or can you run dna against some of the bones that were found and the houston police are just like no we're not i'm, I'm really that. surprised that uh you know government agency or even like a you know like some kind of uh watchdog group or something hasn't tried to like uncover the identity of these victims I think it would be a monetary issue because if it turned out that, yeah, these were victims of Dean Coral after so long, they could sue. Well, they could sue big time. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Ted Cruz should do it. He knows a lot <laughs> about Dean Coral. He really does. He knows a lot about Twisted Souls. And thank you, thank you, Senator Cruz, for inspiring us to cover this wonderful topic here on uh, episode 801 of the Sick and Wrong podcast. <laughs> I'm a Twisted Soul. I'm gonna put that on my grave. I'm gonna make sure <laughs> it's on my grave. Anyway, people, this is 801 here of uh, Sick and Wrong. Uh, we have some phone calls coming up next. If you want to check out Sick and Wrong News, you got to go to the Patreon page for that. And uh, on that note, before we get to phone calls, um, here's a uh, promo about our Patreon page. <laughs> Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. So before you've actually penetrated her with your Johnson, you're going to just rub the tip, the head, the glands of your shaft around her outer labia and over her clitoris. And you're just going to tease her by saying things like, oh, I don't even know if I should even put it in today. I don't even know if you just, I don't even know if you deserve <laughs> Put it in today? Like, like what? I'm today. a fucking microwave. Just teasing up like that and then... Wait, wait, wait. So you're supposed to rub your dick up and down her pussy and on her club be like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to put this in. I don't know. Today. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if yeah. you play your cards right, Missy, you might get this <laughs> cock inside of you, Okay. But for now, I'm just going to rub it on the outside, all right? Oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> How annoyed would you be? I'd just be like, put it in today. I'd be like, oh, well, give me, shoot me an email when you're ready to put it in. <laughs> for only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. Support the show. And keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think so we got a few calls to get to here. Three two three five two two four zero three two is the sick and wrong drunk dial line number. Remember, people, you don't have to call the drunk dial line. You can email us sickandwrongpodcastgmail.com, or you can even send in a Facebook voice message. 
A lot of people have been doing that recently. To either of us. Uh, the first call we have here is from uh, Naughty Nurse. Naughty Nurse used to call Ooh. in every now and then. Oh, gee. You and your sick and wrong messages. <laughs> I like this one. This is a good one. Anyway, I just want to call in and confirm a lot of Kate's things that she said. Number one, Ted Cruz in the White House. It's a fucking real thing. So I'm a nurse. The best part about being a nurse is I work with a lot of other women that have really sick senses of humor. So nice. I was asking them one day, you know, about Ted Cruz in the White House. Ted Cruz in the White House. Is that... I'm trying to think of what she's referring to. It's Vartan, isn't it? Oh. Oh, okay, okay, That's okay. That's what I think it is. No, I remember now. Was it Walden it was, Scott? What listener called in and was no, listening off? Or was it... My fake your, mom. Your fake mom that said Ted Cruz in the White House? Can I just say, shout out to all the nurses that listen to this uh, show. You do a job that I could never do, and I think you should all be paid a lot more but i love their sick and wrong sense of humor i do i do know i always love nurses every time i've ever had to go to hospital i've always been like the nurses treat you so much better i think you develop you know deviant sense of humor just to deal with that shit you couldn't yeah you couldn't deal with it about six it must have maybe maybe it was your fake mom i'm sure who said that it was ted cruz in the white house but that is probably one of the best that's up there with santorum you remember that rick santorum no what was that rick santorum is another cunt of a politician he's a fucking asshole that guy religious fucking dick just like ted cruz but rick santorum i think was trying to like he was definitely fighting against gay marriage fighting against abortion just an asshole and so dan savage from uh, savage love that guy's great he came up with a competition to name what is the term santorum like what does santorum mean and so it was a competition and what actually won it was like santorum is the mixture of fecal matter matter blood and cum that is the byproduct <laughs> of anal sex yeah. <laughs> it's like after gay men have anal sex, that is it's the, the Santorum. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, it doesn't, like doesn't it. have to be even gay men. It could be anyone who has anal sex. You produce Santorum, and then at one point, if you search for Santorum, that would come up top on Google on <laughs> on Google under and Santorum's like personal page was underneath it. It was great, but Ted Cruz in the, the White House, same level, same level of humor. I love that. It is. And they all confirmed Ted Cruz in the White House is a fucking thing. It's totally normal. A vagina phobe bubble. You know, it's been going on since you were like a kid. That's, you know, you're like, oh, what's that? Feels like bubbles in my pants. That guy is a shit stain in your fucking panties. That dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Ted Cruz in the White House continues to be in the White House up until this day. Also, Kate is right about... Putin being fucking sexy, dude. I don't know. I never really noticed him until he was like shirtless on the horse and fuck. Super Thank fuckable. You. Like I know it's yes. probably gonna be on a no fly list after this, but <laughs> Putin's fucking sexy. There it is. I don't care who knows about it. And he about peacocks. Wow, that is oh. kind of funny. Yeah. Kate, don't you you've had like you've had like wet dreams about Putin. You know, it's funny, it's like sometimes I get drunk and I say shit on this show and I forget about it. And then people message me and they go, remember when you said this? Ha ha ha. I don't remember. 
But I stand by Putin being very sexy. There, the man has an allure about him, and it's not just me. There's there's memes about him being sexy. He loves animals too, which I totally think helps the situation because so he would, would you, give you a he'd buy you a puppy after. Would you give up the pooter to Putin? Do you know what? Yeah, he's only my height too, so his cock can't be that big. What do you just you avoid big cocks? Up the pooter, yeah. You don't want a big cock up there. It's just gonna make it. It's gonna be bad in about twenty years' time, isn't it? But he's my height. He's five foot four. He's a very small man. Yet he is so majestic on the horse. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know how Putin likes it, but uh, he likes it's interesting the pooter, that he has apparently. all these female fans. And male. So I live in Central California. There is a park area with a residence kind of like to the right of it. The park is open, but there's probably at least a dozen peacocks and peahens just kind of, you know, looking around for people to give them snacks. So I took my partner's parents there. You know, they're old. Old people love peacocks, and old people always have snacks in their car. So we get out of the car, they started giving them potato chips, and someone from one of the houses, like, ran out, started yelling at us, like, stop feeding the peacocks, stop, because, uh, you know, peacocks can indeed be a nuisance, because I think they're just shitting all over this guy's yard, and they are super Good. loud. However, what if this guy called, a, called for a hit on one of those peacocks? Thank you. Just fuck off. Learn to live with them. Just get over it. Get a fucking pit bull or something to guard your yard. Do you know what? I've lived in some shit fucking apartments where they've been right on like pretty much main roads where like trucks are flying by nearly 20 hours a day. And I can see through that. Like, don't be a pussy. It's a fucking peacock. I would be more upset about the shit in my yard. Like, if there's a whole, like, I don't know, what's a a gaggle of peacocks cruising around, just, like, shitting all over my yard? Yeah, I would be pissed about that. Yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't care. (laughs) Never condone killing a peacock or a peahen. Peacocks are amazing. Yes. Anyways, I love you guys. Thank you for doing Sick and Wrong, and congratulations on 800 episodes. Keep it sick, keep it wrong, and have a good day. Bye. Thank you there, Naughty Nurse. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, she rocks. Um, get this woman a peacock. I um, want a peacock. Me and her should go over to Russia to go and see Putin. And I'm sure they have peacocks there. We can do like a double. Go and see a peacock. Peacocks and then we'll, in Russia? And then we'll, then we'll double team Putin. Yeah. I'm sure He'd Putin like would be down. Totally. Putin definitely. I think there's a lot of women. Oh, he's shy. There's a lot of women that sexualize Putin. I think he's and like, men. I'm sure there's a lot of men too that do as well. But I think a lot of women, like with a man, with a with a man is attractive like Putin. I kind of like, oh yeah, I could see that. But women, I think it's really funny that women are like about this like Russian guy who's kind of evil. It's like he's almost like a bad boy. Is that what it is that you're? Yeah, he's like a James, to? a James Bond villain, but he's just yeah. very short. He's like, a, how tall is he? He's five four. He's my height, dear. Are you into, like, Kim Jong-un? No. (laughs) I don't want want a chunky boy. He's a bad boy. boy. He's like a Bond villain. I don't want a chunky chunky? boy. He's too chunky. (laughs) I want Putin with a puppy on, like, his horse as he gallops towards me. All right, if you had to choose one, Joe Biden or Boris Johnson? 
Ew, just a to blowy, shag. blowy. It, to give a blowy, Biden. <laughs> you do Biden over Boris Johnson? Yeah, because Boris is ginger. <laughs> yeah, but Joe <laughs> Biden's dick probably looks like the Crypt Keeper's dick. <laughs> do you think he can even get a stiffy anymore? We all know that Boris can, but like, do you think Biden could? Viagra's a hell of a drug. It'd be like sucking on a chipolata. <laughs> Just like a puff of air comes out. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Here is a uh, another call also referring to episode 800. Some congrats from a longtime listener. Hey, D. Congratulations on 800 episodes. Uh, I've been a listener since the early days. Um, I think I found from the Ville first and then stumbled across and wrong from there um we were sister podcasts the two of you us were. i think it's very funny because i've obviously Sisters been listening to whenever listening to from the ville and sometimes like you are wackily will pop up and you both sound like babies you both sounds like you're, you both sound like your fetuses in the womb just like full of praise and promise and... i think i still sound like a baby yeah but back then though i was like naive and optimistic now i'm just bitter now you're a twisted a soul. Bitter old twisted soul. That's what I am. Yeah. You guys resonated with me because uh, you reminded me some of of my friends back in high school and college. Um, I've had to can I keep your podcast as a as a secret pleasure <laughs> as a, a woman in my mid fifties now. Um, can't really go around telling people. Did I listen to this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I do find this hilarious when people say this, especially like middle-aged people. It's like, it's my dirty little secret. <laughs> but like the show's quite long. How do you describe to like your friends and your family when they're like, where do you go for two hours every Monday? They're like, I, I'm yeah, just she's walking probably around. Work. She's probably at work and yeah. she's listening to it at work, you know, but I can, under the thing is I can understand that. Like, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't want people at my work knowing about it. Like I usually try to keep it on the DL if if I can. I'm half yeah. and half. I found that note you can tell people you listen to a podcast and they still won't listen anyways. So well, I don't really care. I think it's also a case by case basis. If it's someone I know that would might might dig it, then I'll tell them about it. But Yeah, I kinda yeah. do that. No telling what they think of me. <laughs> but uh <laughs> thanks for all the many hours of entertainment. Uh you've gotten me through uh some some uh, difficult times in life through cancer treatments and a shitty oh, wow. divorce. Uh, but keep up the great work uh, and the great podcast. I loved Wackerly and Harrison and Kate's doing a great job. Uh, so I hope I hope you do many more years. Keep it sick, keep it wrong, and lick my balls. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to make a little clip out of that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, thank also, you for thank you for listening all these years. Seriously, it's awesome. Yeah, fuck your ex husband. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I don't know where I wrote this. I don't know if it's on the Patreon page or if it's the bio on our website. But I was writing like sick and wrong. Kind of has been the constant in a lot of people's lives. You know, in the fluctuation, the changes, the you know, the tumultuous lives that people lead, especially over fifteen years. It's like sick and wrong is just something that. That's been here. I mean, it's here every week. I've never skipped a week. We've done it every week. People's lives change. You know, relationships end. You know, their pets die. It's like, but it, it, but in the end, every Monday, 
a new episode of this terrible podcast to listen to, you know? You're like a you're like a Harry Nielsen song. I'll be there. I guess kind of, yeah. But I mean it's been a constant in many people's lives and then, you know and I think that that is another thing that actually inspires me too. It's like a lot of people are like you kind of distracted me from some of the fucked up shit I got to deal with on a regular basis. You know, it's an yeah, hour and a half where great. I guess don't have to think about that. So that's cool. Dirty totally. little secret. That's what second wrong is. All right, here's the here's the last call that doesn't have anything to do about congratulations for 800 episodes. It twists. It's twisted Firestarter. <gasps> I love him. With a story about getting arrested. Oh, I love it. This is the twisted Firestarter speaking. Uh, first of all, I, I just want to say thank you very much for picking me as the winner of your virginity story contest. And thank you, D, for the self-lubricating asshole you sent me. I have used it. I, I didn't. I didn't give it away. Like, um, like I think it was the wad. Uh, Did like, you send him a self-lubricating asshole? Yeah, it was like a. Like a I don't know if it was like more of like a flashlight or no. It was definitely like an asshole flashlight. I think. I, yeah, it was. It was like a an asshole that you could fuck, but it looked kind of like a flashlight. And I was like, you know, who could use this? Twisted Firestarter could use this. I'm impressed that he used it. And he was I like, think it was yeah. like a porn star's asshole. Like it was fashioned after like a famous porn star's asshole. Oh yeah, that's a total thing, yeah. isn't it? Glad you enjoyed it. Well done. But I'll be honest with you, it's it's a bit tight for my liking. <laughs> I'm not trying to claim I've got a big dick or anything because I haven't. But um, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just not. I'm just not an anal guy. I never have been. I don't really understand. When there's a minge going begging, why would you want to put it in the ass? <laughs> But whatever, I, I'll, I'll use it again in the future. Now, um, I, I'm a little bit late to the party for this one, but uh, I do actually have a story about uh, the one time I got arrested. And uh, it's not there's not much detail to it, but I, I thought you, you might like to hear it. So uh, after I finished all my training in the army, I, I got posted to Germany for three years. And I was, I was 18 years old, so I, I was fucking loving it. And, um, you know, just getting absolutely shit-faced, try and chat up some birds, fail, get a taxi to a whorehouse. That's the one thing about Germany is they get, they have, they have like exceptional brothels there. I've never been to one. I've never been to one. But when I went to Amsterdam, like this is like, I don't know, 2000 or 2000, uh, P-Town had this cousin who... I don't know exactly what his job was, but he worked for a company that had a lot of international offices. I think he did some like HR recruiting or something, but they sent him around to like different uh, offices and they had offices like, through, I think it was a German company he worked for. It was or the headquarters were in Germany. Anyway, he was in Munich for a bit. He was in Hamburg for a bit. And, oh, uh, I love Hamburg. He, yeah. And so when we went to Amsterdam, he came and met us for a weekend and he was like telling us these stories crazy stories about how his boss was like we're all going to the brothel and like he like took the whole like all the dudes not i don't know well, obviously probably didn't take the women but all the dudes on the company's dime to this brothel in like munich and was just like just pick any two that you want and guaranteed p-town is on an episode of eurovision somewhere no, it wasn't P-Town. It was P-Town's cousin. P-Town wouldn't do that. Guaranteed. P-Town's cousin is on an episode of Eurovision I, somewhere. I could, he was telling us about this, and he had pictures. And I was like, how did you get a picture? He's like, oh, I just you know, asked her. 
and she was cool with it. And I gave her some money, and I was just like, and they're both like, really why is there hot. a Channel Four crew here filming us? <laughs> I mean, they were oh, super okay. hot, and I was just like, in my mind, I got this like, you know, idealized vision of what a brothel in uh, Germany looks like. So I'm, I'm kind yeah, of take like, that out. yeah, take that out your head because that is not what they're like. I don't know the one that he, the the two that he was with, they they look like they're Eastern European or something. They're they're attractive on their company's dime. But yeah, D, I've watched millions of hours of euro trash to know what a brothel in germany <laughs> looks like and also hamburg which is very seedy um yeah the prostitutes all there don't look like even my fake mom or my real mom they look like a mom that you don't want <laughs> like <laughs> oh shit i'm gonna pay to shag well, i don't think twisted fire starter would mind go Mine home from... and cry myself to sleep hey, what'd you say i was gonna say martin from ftv he went out to um uh germany well, he was During in the army. He was in the yeah. When he yeah. was in the army, the army. When he was in the army, he went out there for three years. Yeah, and you he know, shagged he a lot of fat women. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. You know, he did. He just like refilled petrol into jeeps and military machines. That was his job. I imagine that's what Twisted Firestar was doing. There was no <laughs> war in Germany <laughs> this time. Have to sleep, and um, and then rinse and repeat. That was my typical weekend in Germany. And um, and and then one time, uh, I, I, um, I don't actually remember the first half of it. I, I've sort of got to piece it together from what other people told me. But apparently, I was shit faced outside a brothel somewhere, and um, I was gobbing off about something, and they called the German police, and uh, uh, one of them was a policewoman apparently, and supposedly <laughs> I was very sexist towards her. Which is quite shameful, but also sounds believable, to be honest. Um, and, and, and actually, the next morning, I woke up, my neck was fucking killing me. I, I reckon they karate chopped me or anything. But anyway, they, they then called the military police, who then come oh, and cuff me and chuck me in the back of the paddy wagon. And then that's like, that's like when I woke up. The, the first thing I remember is being on my knees in the back of a police van, uh, handcuffed, and I didn't know why I was there. I didn't know what I'd done, and I stopped just panicking my first thought is oh my god i've fucking killed someone and i'm freaking out and i start crying and <laughs> i was about to say there had to have been tears had to have been <laughs> tears <laughs> i guess i don't know i mean you come to and you're in the back of a police van i would probably be freaking out too because i'd be like all right what exactly did i do here my first thought would be i've finally done it we kill somebody I've finally done it now. Perverted. Yeah. Well, no, I can do that whenever I want, kind of. <laughs> no, anyway. but I mean in front of Putin or something. Not in front of Putin. Never. <laughs> Sexy times only. Although he might be into that. You know, Russian men. Putin almost might be a good term for a vagina fart. A Putin. Putin. Pu no, Putin, Putin to me sounds more like an anal act. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he, I, 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 I'm not surprised there were tears. Amen. And I, I, I was shouting things like, "You'll never make it stick!" And the monkeys in front <laughs> were just turning around and going, "Shut the fuck up!" Because you know, I must have heard it all before. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. They took me to gut a slow, processed me, took me back. I, I think I've got like a like a weekend show parade or something. I probably got fucked for it somehow. Can't really remember. But um, that's, you know, it's not cool at all. Not really Al Capone crying in the back of a police van. <laughs> but that's my um, getting arrested story. 
So uh, all the best. Speak to you soon. Oh, God, I love Twisted Firestar. I freaking love Twisted Firestar. Yeah, I want more more army stories. One of these days, I do want to go to, um, hopefully go to England sometime soon if you guys aren't wiped out by the Delta variant. Um, but I would like to go there sometime soon. I'd love to meet up with that guy. He's got great stories. Yeah, see, I'd like to meet up with him, but I would also like to just be like, if other people were there, I'd be like, shut up. Twisted Five Star is telling a story. <laughs> he's telling us another. He's regaling us with another tale. Yeah, it's his turn to speak. <laughs> anyway, people, call the signal hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. If you love the show and you want a little bit more, check out the signal on Patreon. Uh, you can sign up right now. Uh, we we literally have like two shows going on right now. It's like we got the regular show and we got a bonus show. Uh, just go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong. $5 a month. You get an extra, you get the, the sick and wrong news story. Uh, you get phone calls. You get our outtakes. Um, I think it was it this week you were talking about flipping out on uh, ketamine. Yeah, I, I really hate the, the flagrant lies that you tell in these titles <laughs> Kate of all the outtakes. just had a full on flip out. Like a freak out on ketamine, and it's amazing. She was throwing people's coats, kicking people out of her home. You'll you'll hear it. You can go hear it. This is how um, Harrison felt. <laughs> these, these twisted lies that you tell. This is how Harrison felt. You ruined this podcast when you joined, all right? This <laughs> was did. a boy's home. This was a boy's home. I and know, now and a girl just comes it. here and taints it all. Yeah, uh, totally. Ruined it. You blew it. You blew it, D. <laughs> D, your best years are behind you now. Uh, Patreon news story actually was a good one. It was about a woman who uh, ran over her husband in a four-wheeler after he requested a divorce. Yeah, and then I don't know if it was, yeah, I think it was this week actually when we did a call about that dude who had the most bizarre is that gay question with butt sex and fingers. Yes, it, uh, we went into deep levels discussing whether it, it made no sense anyway. Um, that's at the five dollar level. A few bucks more, you get sick and wrong news. You can hear us talking about Dr. Dre ordering to pay three hundred thousand dollars in monthly spousal support to his wife, ex-wife. Monthly. Yeah, and then also there's the uh, bonus uh, sick and wrong overkill or mini episode. And this week, uh, Kate did it about the bob-haired bandit. Yeah, um, from the nineteen twenties, before Bonnie and Clyde. Were the Coonies in 1920s New York? So if you want more Sick and Wrong, go to Patreon.com/Sick and Wrong. Sign up today, and you get the uh, the um, a whole extra show every week. Also, uh, we got some merch at the uh, T Public Store. SickandWrongPodcast.com/Shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Get your get yourself some merch. Finally, here Sick and Wrong song of the week. Another music death. Sometimes I can't ignore a music death to somebody who I admire, who I did admire, and who influenced me, especially at an early age. I mean, as a well, music... I couldn't, that's why I did an hour-long episode about, about Amy, Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. Yeah, last yeah. week, exactly. It's like, as a music fan, there's a lot of people that just stick out, especially in your formative years, and there are people that just influenced you and made a lasting impression. And this guy particularly did. He's one of the first rap artists that I was ever into. Bismarcky. Bismarcky. The clown yeah, prince I mean, of hip hop died uh, last week, fifty-seven seen a years old. Lot of upset middle-aged men on my uh, Instagram. Were you ever a fan of um, the Biz? 
I have never heard a Biz song. I have never heard. What? How of how have you never heard Just a Friend? Oh, you got what I need. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like one of the first rap songs. Like huge rap I songs. Only know that song because of it. So he's sitting in Philadelphia. This guy, he was definitely an innovator in the uh, in the genre. Like he started back in the day when rap was just like you know just beginning. He met Marley Marl, actually, Symphony New York, Marley Marl, 1985. And he was, at the time, he was working as the human beatbox. I mean, it was amazing what he could do, you know, with with his mouth. Um, His noise box. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then he released his first album. I'm actually going to play a song off his first album. But what's interesting about Biz Marquis is he changed the face of rap music. I wouldn't say it was for the best, because he did kind of change um, how rap artists can use sampling. So okay. at that time, like if you go back to the 80s and you listen to a lot of different rap artists, you could almost sample a whole song. You take Bob Dylan, sample a whole song. You listen to Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. You could Great never album. make that record now, though, because they yep. just like sampled you know, with impunity. They're like, oh, fuck it. No one's going to sue us. We're just sampling. But then what happened, Biz Marquis did that. And uh, yeah, I mean, he did. He got into trouble with a case that helped change the way rap industry did business. So the musician Gilbert O'Sullivan sued him over his song "Alone Again" on his 1991 album "I Need a Haircut." Uh, he charged that the rapper's use of samples from his O'Sullivan's 1972 hit "Alone Again Naturally" amounted to unauthorized use of his music, and he won. O'Sullivan won. And moving forward, hip hop artists had to clear the use of samples. And so Biz Marquis said in a 2008 interview, "It was me. It wasn't a ra- it wasn't a rape case or a gun case. It was a sample." And so he released his 1993 album after this called "All Samples Cleared." <laughs> yeah, because of that. But it did change the, uh, the you know the the face of rap. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show here. A tribute to Bismarck Key. Uh, rest in peace, Bismarck Key. Um, definitely going to be missed. Definitely was an influence. I'm going to end the show here with Pickin' Boogers from his 1988 <laughs> debut album, Going Off. Here's one of my favorite lines from it Hey, Ma, what's for dinner? Go up your nose and pick yourself a winner. <laughs> it's inspiring. I think you should do that, Ted Cruz. People, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with episode 802. Till then, take a sleazy. The short, I have it trippin', see yo, listen close It's not right at the sun, or sweet like sugar But it's rather on the boat tip and it's called Pickin' Boogers! Now when I am playing, my life be closer to you But it's still something we all have to do So go up your nose with a finger or two And pull out one all crusty crew Yo, don't try to punt like it's so gloomy and gray Cause we all pick out boogers sometime every day Whether out in the open or on the sneak tip Or the finger, tissue, or even a cute Take it from the biz monkey, because I'm just and also, remember the slogan. Hey mom, what's for dinner? Go up your nose and pick a winner. Pick a burger. Pick a burger. Pick a burger. Pick a burger. Pick a burger.
my partner came Headed up to the rooftop riding the D train One of the man sitting next to me was so profane To stick his finger up his nose Damn near to a train I was just about but All of a sudden homeboy just pulled out A big green slimy Nah I ain't gonna say it but a way to good pound If you tried to wait Sat there for a while with it in his hand So I tried to play cool and like an older man So I laid my head back to catch a quick nap all of a sudden he plucked the dead in my lap I can't sit there laughing like it was all a joke But a brother like Miss Marky had almost choked So I dug in my nose and pulled out about five And plucked every last one of them dead in his eye Then the man jumped up and said, what's wrong with you? And wiped him off his face and said, I can't mess with you Like if I did something that was so full of shame But yo, you got to know the name, the of, the name game. of the game Pick a puzzle Did shake your hand Catch anyone from anywhere But the best fun about it Catching cane out there Especially when we playing Ball in the gym I put boogers on a basketball And pass it to him Now we're grown up And things have changed But we still be playing A pick and boogers game Just last night When Kane was getting ready I slipped a little green one Inside his spaghetti Myself to your podcast. Hey, sick and wrong listeners, want to add some spice to your sex life? Go to adamandeve.com and you'll get 50% off your purchase, free shipping, 
two adult DVDs and a product so sensual, I cannot even mention it on this podcast. Just type the coupon code DIDDLE upon checkout. Love you boys. Now I'm going to go back to having some fun.